All right. Well, let's pick up where we left off in Job. We're going to find ourselves beginning at chapter 32. And we're going to take a look at a guy named Elihu. Elihu is going to speak for the next six chapters. And though I tried as I might, I'm pretty sure we're not going to make it. We will give it the valiant try. As we look at Elihu, there's several questions that come up about this section in Job. Uh, A lot of critics of the Bible want to take this moment to say, well, Elihu's an obvious addition. He's brought in after the fact. He's he's, um, introduced differently than all the other speakers. You know, there seems to be something different about Elihu. And and, uh, I just want to let you guys know that according linguistically, it is exactly the same Hebrew. There's no difference in style. There's no difference in the wording and the things that are used. Job is one of the most challenging books for a linguist to uh, um, translate. And Elihu's no different. So there's not a natural break or where it looks like somebody centuries later added in a new story. So I think Elihu belongs there. I think Elihu was there throughout the, the, the entire discourse as he's going to explain. And then, uh, secondarily, as we look at Elihu, a lot of people will look at him and say, well, he's got, he's kind of got it right. Elihu's putting the, the things together in, in the right light and he seems to have it right. So, so before we run too far down that trail, I just want you guys to turn over to, uh, Job 38. So Job 38 is the section of scripture where God speaks. Um, it says at the end of, of 37 verse 24 is the last words of Elihu. Okay, Elihu says, therefore men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. Now immediately after that, we come to 38, which says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So it would appear as soon as Elihu finishes, there's a tornado. Same thing we see with, uh, with Elijah. Remember when Elijah was hiding in the cave and he's, the Lord shows him several things and, and, uh, uh says that, that this isn't the, the voice of the Lord. This is not the voice of the Lord. One of those things was a whirlwind. One was a fire. You know, similar concepts taking place there. But a whirlwind appears, a tornado comes, and the Lord speaks. And I just don't want you to forget what the Lord says right after Elihu finishes his sixth chapter speech. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So... A lot of times you're going to come to commentaries and they're going to talk about all the incredible things that Elihu has to say. But the only counsel I really care about is what God said. And God said, who is this that darkens knowledge or or darkens counsel and speaks without knowledge? So that's God's commentary on Elihu's six chapters. The point is, Elihu also is going to get it wrong. You see, here's the problem with Job and all his friends. They cannot come up with a system of understanding, a doctrinal system, a theology that says, Job's right and God's right. And because they can't come up with a system that makes those two things right, they're wrong. 
Because we know from the beginning of the book of Job and the end of the book of Job that Job was righteous. That's God's declaration, not Job's. So whenever they, they say to Job, well, you're making yourself to be righteous. Well, I guess that's okay because God did it in chapter 1 and 2. God said there's nobody like Job. Job was righteous through his relationship with the Lord. So that's we can't argue that point. That's established. And the other thing that's established is God is right in whatever he had brought into the life of Job. And the problem was, for the friends of of Job, all they could see is, okay, God's got to be right, so Job has to be wrong. Because there's no way God would allow these things in Job's life unless he was wicked. And really, it comes down to that for all of them. Elihu's going to say that's not his attitude, and then he's going to say those same words, so... So, you know, anyways, he he gets to that same point. The problem is, God is right, God is sovereign, God is just, God is loving, God is holy, and everything he allowed in the life of Job was right. And Job was righteous. And because the theology of the friends wouldn't allow those two things to be true, then they are those who are darkening counsel, speaking without knowledge. Because God was right, and Job was righteous. So when we come to Elihu, we have the same thing. Sometimes we don't know how to reconcile with human reasoning the things that we're trying to see around us and understand. And and, and I don't know why it is, but sometimes we feel like we have to be able to wrap human understanding or reasoning around that. But then we look at at scripture like Isaiah 55 where the Lord says, My ways are higher than your ways. My understanding is higher than your understanding. The Lord simply tells us in Isaiah 55, Some of the things I do, you're not going to get. But it doesn't mean I'm bad or I'm wrong. Just because you can't understand how that works. It, It is a, to me... It is a logical fallacy for us to say God is transcendent, which means He is other than us, wholly other, outside of our reality. So we say God is transcendent, and at the same time we say we can understand everything God's going to do. It's a logical fallacy. Either He's transcendent or He's not. If He's transcendent, some of the things He does, I'm not going to get. But what I can do is look at the circumstances around me and look at God's Word and say, God's Word tells me that He loves me. This doesn't feel loving, but it doesn't mean it's not. Right? We talked about that before. Do feelings always tell the truth? Are your feelings always right? So... Our feelings are not. No. My feeling just today at about 11.30 said I was starving to death. And I was certain that flies were circling my head. And at any moment, my belly would bloat because it didn't have anything in it. And I would fall over. But the truth was, I was mildly hungry. Right? I mean, let's face it. I have not been without a meal for a long time. So, so that's not true. It's not true. God is transcendent. He's other, wholly other than we. And he declares Job righteous 
And we know God has to be righteous. So when we come to chapter 32, beginning, I just want you to back up, look at 31. It says, the words of Job are ended. Job's only going to speak one other time, and that's when God asks him if he has anything to say. And miraculously, Job is going to say, nope, I don't have nothing to say. When God's talking, it's always best for us just to shut up and listen than to try to offer anything. <laughs> just receive. So the words of Job are ended. Elihu's going to speak for the next six chapters. So it says, so uh, these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. They couldn't change Job's um, integrity. He kept saying, I claim my integrity. I know I have a right relationship with God. That's the concept of righteousness. Job never said he was without sin. That was never what he said. What he did say is, I am justified before God. How is he justified? Because God has imputed into him righteousness. How did he do that? Because he followed a sacrificial system that God had laid out for Adam and Eve, that Cain and Abel followed, and that the next generations continued in all the way to the giving of the law. So he was walking by faith in what God had revealed about what God was looking for. And he knew, I am walking by faith, I'm trusting in God, I have a right relationship with him. I have no idea where all this stuff was coming from. Was that true? Yeah, we know from 1 and 2, right? Job had no idea what was going on. He was in the middle of a spiritual battle with the devil. The devil's trying to take God out. And God puts Job up as his champion. And Job does battle with Satan for 42 chapters. And he wins. Because he clings to his integrity. God makes me righteous. I'm right with him. I don't know what's going on. But I'm right with God. Well, his friends couldn't change his mind, so they all decided to be quiet. Now, I want you to look at beginning at verse 2, when it speaks of Elihu, how many times it talks about his wrath. Let's look. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Bozite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. And when Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu, the son of Barakel the Buzzite, answered and said. So how many times did he tell us he's ticked off? You know that the Bible declares that the wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. The wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. He is angry because he feels like Job is representing God wrong. Now we know when we come to chapter 38, who did God say was representing him wrong? Everybody else, right? So God's going to say, everybody else has me wrong, but Job has me right. Job's concept is that God imputes righteousness on those who walk by faith. And their understanding is God makes righteous those who are good. And He brings judgment on those who are evil. So the good... Good things happen to, the bad, bad things happen to. At the time of Christ, did they have the same attitude? In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. Do you guys remember? And what did the disciples ask him? Who sinned? 
him or his parents. But the concept that he was born blind just for the glory of God was not, not within their understanding. But God says he's born blind just for the glory of God. That the glory of God might be revealed. That sometimes is a difficult concept for us to grasp. But nonetheless, that's what Elihu is struggling with. So we see Elihu is indignant. He's angry. He's indignant. And so he's going to begin to speak. He begins by being or, or stating the fact that he's respectful of the older, older folks to a point. You'll see what I mean. He says, I am young in years and you are very old. Now, as soon as he said that, it kind of, it's, it's a, you guys ever heard of a left-handed compliment? Or a backhanded compliment? You know, I've been waiting for all you old folks to stop. I am very young and you are very old. You probably should stay at home and not come here. He said, therefore, I was afraid and dared not declare my opinion to you. And I don't know how many of your Bibles say opinion. Uh, the word means knowledge. Uh, also, an opinion is sharing what you believe to be your knowledge. So the concept is right. But the idea is he, want, he has something to share. Something that he needs to get out. Uh, and so he, he declares that as his opinion. Everywhere that you see the word opinion, if your Bible lays out opinion, it, he's talking about his knowledge, his understanding, what he's gained in his young years. I said, age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Now, there's two views here. The idea that he's speaking of the fact that he is inspired by the breath of God. But that's probably less likely than the view he has toward creation. See, the idea here of creation, remember when God formed Adam? The Bible says he formed him of the clay, then what did he do? He breathed into him, and when he breathed into him, he had life. Well, Elihu says not only did God breathe life into man, but he also breathed understanding or wisdom. That's kind of, I think, the picture with which he's going. In other ways, he's going to declare the fact that, that God's speaking through him to Job, but I think in this place he's he's looking at the idea of being inspired by God, that the breath of God has given him understanding. The same thing that caused and brought about creation has given him a gift of understanding and wisdom that he's going to share. So he says in verse 9, great men are not always wise. So if you're standing around a group of great men, what, what does that sound like? Well, great men aren't always wise. I mean, you guys tried, but I have a special breath of God in me. Maybe you guys are lacking that. So great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. So clearly, Elihu is saying, I have greater wisdom than all of you. Which is a very harsh thing to say in a patriarchal society for a young man. Younger than everybody else there. In his extensive um, experience, uh, that he's, he's not going to say, I'm speaking through my experience like the other guys did. He is saying, I'm speaking through a special gifting of God. I got, I got the trump card on everybody. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I also 
will declare my opinion. You ever notice everybody has one of those? Everybody has an opinion. I always say, write your opinion on a monster can and I'll decide whether it's worth checking out. Yeah, everybody's got one too, huh? And most of us should probably leave our opinions at home. But anyways, he says, I have an opinion, I want to share it. So, he's going to begin his inroads with Job by rebuking the the friends. Look at what he says. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words. So according to Elihu, round one after all the, the rounds that he went through with his friends, goes to Job. Job beat you guys. His logic was more sound than you were ne- not able to convince him. This is Elihu. So he's he's kind of... Tearing down the guys who were ripping up Job as an inroad to Job. Don't get too excited. He's not getting an inroad to Job so he can be kind and considerate and nice. He's doing, he's doing, well, kind of what the devil does when he knows he's going to lose. And you've survived all the vicious outward attacks. What's the next attack going to look like? Somewhere inside. It's not all them ones out there you're, you start to expect, right? It's the one who comes sneaking in, agreeing with you and nodding with you. And as soon as you turn away, he, he's got a special place to bury his hatchet, right? So, so this is what Elihu's doing. This is what Elihu is, is bringing to the table. So he said, lest you say we have found wisdom, God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your word. So the point is, he says, unless you would say, well, we have found wisdom, so God's going to get him. God's going to take care of Job, and you'll see that we were right. He says, now, lest you say that, listen, Job never directed his words at me, Elihu says, so I've got a totally different argument for him. I'm not going to reuse your words, and I'm not going to reuse your argument. Now that's a, the declaration that Elihu says, my argument is different. I'm going to be impartial. The problem is, he's going to quote all their arguments. He's going to use the same arguments going in. Just because you say something, don't make it true. Do you ever get that? And a lot of times, the accusations people bring against others are the very things that they are struggling with in their own life. They don't want to deal with it. It's easier to deal with your inadequacies than it is for me to consider mine. So that's where he's at. He says, I, I got a new argument. Uh, then he's going to go on verse 15. Job's, Job's friends really have nothing to say. He says, they are dismayed and answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak. Because they stood still and answered no more. So I will answer my part. I too will declare my opinion, or my knowledge. I have something to add to this. Those guys don't have anything else to say. But but I got quite a bit to say. And literally, he, it's on the tip of his tongue. Look at verse 18. For I am full of words. Full of words. I got lots of words inside of me. And the spirit within me compels me. The spirit within me compels me. A lot of people blame a lot of things on the spirit. Now here, I don't think he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I think he's talking about his conscience is compelling him. To go forward. But a lot of people blame a lot of things on God that don't come from God. It's one of those areas where we ought to be careful. Especially in the area where we're offering opinions or 
our, our understanding or knowledge about someone's situation. And we say, well, the Lord told me. Just be careful. God expects you to give account for every word you said he told you. So be certain. God told me. You know, this is something we need to do. If God told you it's going to be true, it's going to come to pass. But we don't want to be in a list of false prophets, right? Who, who spoke for the Lord when the Lord hadn't said. Well, he's got all these words in him and the Spirit is, is compelling him. Oh, I'm going to burst if I don't tell what, say what I got to say. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It's ready to burst like new wineskins. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. So he's saying, I can't be quiet anymore. Man, you guys are all missing the boat. You see, he's got a long introduction, right? He has <coughs> given his introduction for 22 verses, and he's going to say it all again. And then he goes on in verse 21, and he says, I'm not going to do this with flattery. And then he's going to begin by flattering. He says, let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let me flatter any man. For I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. So I'm not going to do this with flattery. I got something to say, and I'm just going to give it to you straight, Elihu says. So in verse 33, he begins with the phrase, but. But always means strong contrast. So in strong contrast to the concept of flattery, he says, please Job. Now that word please is interesting because he's going to give emphatic commands. And here they are. Hear my speech. Listen to my words. Those are commands that he's issued. It's not, I don't want to soften it with the please and have you think he's talking all soft. Now Job, won't you please listen to what I have to say? No, that's not what he's saying. Listen to me. You got that before? Somebody, remember, he's indignant. He's filled with wrath. You can almost see him pointing his hand at him. Listen to me. Listen to all the words that are coming out of my mouth. That's what he's saying. He's giving command. I want you to hear everything that I have to say. Now he says, now I open my mouth. My tongue speaks in my mouth. And my words come from my upright heart. My lips utter pure knowledge. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Well, he thinks a lot about himself, don't he? Listen to everything I got to say, because I am God's gift to the world. In fact, I have written right here, I am the total package. <laughs> Some of you know the total package story. There was once a guy who thought he was the total package. And after he spoke the words, we have mocked him ceaselessly for those very words. I am the total package. Well, in this case, this guy thinks he is. Oh man, I, my, my tongue speaks my mouth. My words come from an upright heart. The, my lips utter pure knowledge. Wow. Seriously. One of the things that I discovered in Bible college... Is what the, what the Word of God declares. The Word of God tells us that knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. One of the first things that, that I experienced was <coughs> the puffing. You start getting all this knowledge in Bible college. And your head literally 
will expand to ten times its natural size. You're just, you can't hardly get it in the door. You can't hardly get it. That's why at Joshua Springs they have slavery to help pop the head that all the knowledge is growing in. What do you mean? Well, you'll be filled with all this knowledge, infinite wisdom. You are ready to take on the world. And you show up for assignment the next morning. I'm ready. Turn them loose. Turn me loose on all the morons in the world. And I'll straighten them out with my incredible knowledge. And they hand you a plunger and a scrub brush and comet. And they say, all the bathrooms need clean. And there's a couple of plugs down there in in the ladies' room. So you need to take care of that. That's your assignment today. And that giant size 10 head just gets a little smaller. It takes a lot of time. There'll be lots of toilet cleaning and scrubbing and and clean up on aisle 4. And some kid threw up in the cafeteria and they call for you. Bible college student 101. Somebody's got to go clean that up. It helps offset the idea of knowledge puffing up. This guy, Elihu, he really thinks he's got it together. He's got understanding that nobody else has. He's got all the answers. I never want to be the guy who has all the answers. And the interesting thing is, we look at this next section from verse 4 through 7. He's going to use Job's own words. Like he agrees with Job. Like he agrees with him. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So he says, if you can answer me, That's an emphatic statement. Job, if you can answer me, set your words in order. Take your stand. Those are all commands that he's given to Job. Get ready. You've never talked to anybody like me before. And Job's not going to talk to him. (laughs) He's going to ask Job to answer him over and over again. And Job's just going to be quiet. You know why? Because the Bible says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Lest he seem wise in his own eyes. And Job just said, okay, whatever, brother. Off and running he goes. Well, he says, truly, I am your spokesman before God. You guys ever, do you guys like arrogant people? Man, I'm your spokesman before God, really? I'm, I'm here to speak for God for you. Wow. I've, I've heard that before. I've had somebody come and tell me, Jackie, i got a special message from God. He wants me to, to give to your people in church. I say, wow, super. As soon as he gives it to me, I'll give it to him. He says, no, the Lord told me he wants me to tell him. Well, as soon as the Lord tells me, I'm not deaf or hard to hear. And he can talk to me just like he talks to you. If it's so good, God charges me to be the shepherd. That means you don't let nobody to the sheep who's a knucklehead. Right? You don't go grab a wolf and say, Hey, watch these sheep for a while while I, I'm going to take a day off. And you come back and half the sheep been chewed up. What happened? No, my your job is to make sure the wolf don't get there. No wolves. So, no special knowledge from God. I'm always a little worried about that, especially now. At the time of Job, certainly it's possible. At our time, I just, I'm sorry, it's not possible anymore. God said in Hebrews, he's finished talking. 
He spoke. It's here. Everything he had to say, he said through his son, Jesus Christ. It's done. There's no further revelation. You got what's necessary for redemption of man right here. It's over. He spoke in times past through the prophets. He has in these last days spoken finality through his son, Jesus Christ. What did the last thing Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. I don't, I don't got a whole lot more to say. I don't got a whole lot more to say. Now, he went through the apostles who he specifically called to write the word. The word is written. It is finished. There's no new revelation. Now, am I saying there's no prophecy? No, I'm not saying there's not the gift of prophecy. I'm not saying that there's not God's prophetic word. I'm saying there's no new revelation. Anything that God says to you can be found. But God gives a prophecy, God gives direction, God gives a word of knowledge. All those things are true. That's not some new revelation. That's not adding to or taking from the word of God, right? A new revelation says, well, God didn't quite get it all. So I need to give you a new one so that you can add it. That's not necessary. It's finished. The canon is closed. The word is done. God has said what he needs to say. But I'm your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of the clay. Those are the same words that um, Job had spoken earlier in the book of Job, around chapter 4. I am formed out of clay, Job said. Now he's using the same words. I too was formed out of clay, Job. I get where you're coming from. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. In chapter 9, Job had said, all his friends, their hand was heavy on him. He's like, oh no, my hand's not going to be heavy on you, brother. He's using Job's words. The same things that Job had said, he's using again toward him. He says, surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words, saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Now, there's just one problem. As he said, he said, Job, you said these things. You said you're right before God. Now, he's making more inference. Job never said he was without sin. He adds that, that there is no iniquity in me. He adds that. Job said, I'm innocent. Job said, I'm righteous before God. My relationship with God is right. And then Job also said, verse 10, (coughs) He, God, finds occasion against me. Where were all the judgments in Job's life coming from? Job attributed them all to God. He never attributed to God wrongdoing. He never said God was wrong. He said, I don't understand it. That's a big difference. He never said, God, you have no right. He never said to God, this is... This is wrong. What he said to God was, I don't get it, what's going on, but I know it's from his hand. He said, he counts me as an enemy. And to Job's liking, to Job's uh, uh, understanding, that's how it looked. Somehow I have become God's enemy, and I don't know why. He said, he puts my feet in the stocks. He watches all my paths. He said, he said, God is watching. God is doing. God is accomplishing all these things in my life. So in verse 12, he responds to him. He says, so look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. 
So he's acting like Job has forgotten that. Now anywhere in any of Job's speeches, did he ever say, you know, I'm bigger than God? Nope. But that's the inference Elihu takes. Elihu says, well, for you to say you're righteous, you're saying you're better than God. Why? Because in his mind, if Job's right, then God's wrong. So if that's my only ability to equate, if for Job to be right, God has to be wrong, then my logic would state, Job has to be wrong because God's not wrong. You get what I'm saying? They wouldn't, or there was no way for him to see <coughs> the reality of Job being righteous and God being right. But that's not what his word's declaring. Well, he asks him in verse 13. He says to Job, your problem is you don't understand God. Job, you don't understand God. Why do you contend with Him? For He does not give an accounting of His words. Well, okay, let me straighten that out for Elihu. God is never required to give an accounting for His words. But does God give an accounting for His words? Sometimes He does. Sometimes He clearly describes what He's saying. In Psalm 62.11, He does. In Genesis 41.32, He does. He makes declaration where he, he wants what he's saying to be clearly understood. So it can't be an emphatic statement that God will never give an accounting of his words. And Job was not arguing with God. Job wasn't arguing with God where God said one thing and Job said another. Job is crying out to God saying, I don't understand what's going on. And all the while, according to chapter 42, God said, Job never sinned with his lips. So crying out to God, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what's happening in my life. I don't know what's happening. I, I feel like I'm your enemy. All, none of those things were sin. Those things were an honest expression of a heart that didn't understand what was going on. And God wasn't upset by it. But all Job's friends were. Because if one was right, the other had to be wrong. And if that's the case of your theology, then God can't be wrong. So Job's a problem. You guys get where I'm coming from? That's why they all had beef with Job. Because in their world, there wasn't place for God to bring suffering on a righteous man. Well, that's, that's really too bad. I hope your theology has more space than that. Because Paul says... In chapter 12, somewhere in chapter 12 of Corinthians, you know, so that I would not be exalted above measure, the Lord gave me what? A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Wow! So apparently, whatever was going on in, jo in uh, Paul's life was some measure of suffering that God allowed in his life to keep him from getting too big for his britches. Isn't that what Paul's saying? So, there should be area in your life. God doesn't say, because Paul sinned, I gave him this. He says, no, I'm bringing this so that Paul doesn't struggle in pride. So you have the righteousness of Paul made justified by Jesus Christ. Paul's right. And God's allowing suffering on a right man. God's right. Paul's right. They both happen at the same time. That's what Job's friends couldn't see. That's what their theology wouldn't allow. So, you must be misunderstanding God. 
For God may speak in one way or in another. Is that true? Sure, God can speak any way He wants to speak. He's God, right? I even heard one time He used a donkey. You guys ever heard that story? Yeah, he, so He could use a donkey. Do you know that one time God prophesied through Caiaphas? You know who Caiaphas was, one of the guys who killed Jesus? A total unbeliever? Absolutely could have been filled with Satan so bad. But he prophesied by the Spirit of God. Do you know that? The Spirit of God gave him prophecy to utter? Yeah, that's what the Bible tells us. What about Balaam? You guys heard of Balaam, right? You know he's not a Jew. He was a Gentile prophet for hire. Who spoke prophecy by the Spirit of God and died among the enemies of God's people. Whether or not he was... uh, in a position where we would call him saved or not, it's up for discussion. But Balaam, he prophesied, he tried to curse God's people. He'd open his mouth to curse God's people, and what would come out? Blessing. Prophecy about the coming of Messiah. Balaam uttered. Yeah, God speaks in a lot of ways, right? So, he's going to give two examples. But what he says is, God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. He doesn't understand it. But I've been filled with special breath. So I, I can understand it. Yep, you've been filled with something, brother. He says in verse 15, one type of God speaking. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men... While slumbering in their beds, then he opens the ears of men. So did God speak to men through dreams and visions? Absolutely. We go through the Old Testament and see account after account of this taking place. And he seals and seals their instruction. What was his purpose? This is what Elihu is saying. The purpose of that, in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from men. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. So God would speak to man through his dreams to guide men, to keep men from doing dumb things, and ended up dying. So one of the ways that God speaks is through dreams and visions, and the purpose of speaking is to spare your life. Now he's going to say another way God speaks. Man is also chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones. So the second way God speaks is through suffering. God can speak through suffering. God can speak through dreams. God can speak through suffering. Uh, C.S. Lewis says a similar thing. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasure and shouts in our pain. That there are times God speaks to His people. Surely, but doesn't Hebrews say, don't despise the chastening of the Lord? But so, so there's definitely, I don't think he's off his rocker here. Sure, God can speak through suffering. Uh, he says in verse 20, so that his, in his, <coughs> excuse me, so that his life abhors bread and his soul succulent food, his flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones stick out which were once not seen. Now it kind of sounds like he's describing Job to me. So God could be speaking to you, Job, in your suffering. And then he describes him. Yes, his soul draws near the pit. That's a, a, a idiom for he's almost dead. He's, he's coming close to death. 
and his life to the executioner. So he's close to death. And then he's going to say, now, there's two ways that God speaks. He speaks in suffering. He speaks in, in dreams and vision. And then he's going to talk about two ways that God delivers you from death in that midst of all that. And the first way is with an angel. On well, verse 23, if there is a messenger for him. Well, you guys know what the word malach means, messenger. It's the same in Greek. In the Greek, the word sounds more familiar to you. Angelos. Translated often in the Bible, angel. He's talking about angels. What's one way that someone can be delivered from death through suffering or, or because he's, he's walking or being in sin? Angels could deliver him. Angels could deliver him. A mediator, one among a thousand. He said, Sam, it doesn't happen very often. You think of an example where an angel saves someone from destruction? Well, about the time of Abraham, he had a nephew. You remember his name? Lot. Lot. Where was Lot that he shouldn't have been? Who got him out? Angels. Angels went and got him out, right? The two angels visited him, laid hold of him, and drug him out of the city. Right? We remember the story? (coughs) So, we see Elihu, uh, you know, he may be uh, referencing that. If that had already happened, certainly Job is somewhere around the patriarchs, Abraham's time. It's possible that that's an event that he's heard of, or perhaps he's speaking of other examples. Um, To show man his uprightness, he speaks uh, or delivers uh, through through an angel. It's possible to be delivered by an angel. But basically, Elihu's saying, don't hope in the the angel delivering you, because that doesn't happen very often. One in a thousand. So... Hey, Job, you're on the brink of death, and two things can save you from this thing you're in now. God has spoken to you. He speaks one of two ways, through dreams or visions, but sometimes we don't perceive it. Then he speaks to us in suffering. And now, speaking to you in your suffering, you're right at the brink of death, and you can look to an angel for deliverance. That's what he's talking about. Then he is gracious to him. What happens? He is gracious to him. God is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom, atonement, at one something that made peace with God. So you have the angel. Angel could bail you out. God could be gracious to you. In fact, God is gracious to you right now, Job, because you're not dead yet. So there's still time for you. Or, and then he says in verse 25, his flesh will be... Uh, young like a child's, and he shall return to the days of his youth. So, being delivered by the angel. Or, he shall pray to God. So the second way, repentance. You can be delivered by an angel, you can be delivered through repentance. He shall pray to God, and he will delight in him. And he shall see his face with joy, for he restores to man his righteousness. So though your righteousness has been taken, Job, if you would repent, if you would pray, if you would call out on the Lord. Have we heard that before? Yeah, if you would do those things, then God would restore you. And then he, when he restores you, this is what God would want you to do. Then he, Job, little h, you guys see it? Then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right and it did not profit me. And he, God, will redeem his soul from going down to the pit that his life shall see the light. So there's two ways, Job, you can hope an angel's going to deliver you. You can repent. Now, it's kind of wrapped up in a new package, Elihu's speech, right? But it sounds like the same old stuff to me. 
Something's got to be wrong with you, Job, if all this has happened. You need to repent. He says, Behold, God works all these things, twice in fact, three times with a man, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. And then a more emphatic statement. Give ear, Job. Are you listening to me? Hold your peace. Be quiet and let me speak. Now, Job hasn't said nothing, but anyway... If you have anything to say, answer me. So it's like on one hand saying, be quiet. Now talk to me. Be quiet. You guys ever had those kind of talks with your parents? Why just don't say another word? Do you have anything to say for yourself? I feel like I'm being backed into a quarter. Uh, no. Yes? I don't know. Just, just don't hit me anymore. I'll say whatever you want. This is what Elihu's doing. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak. For I desire to justify you. I want, I want to make you right, Job. Thanks. You can't do anything to make me right. That's God's job. You knock yourself out, brother, but there's not going to be no making me right. If not, listen to me. Oh, he's got to listen, speak, listen, be quiet. Do you have something to say? No, then be quiet. I have something to say. He just talks incessantly. If not, listen to me. Hold your peace, and I will teach you wisdom. I got arrogance is so hard on me. Like I'm sure there's some good things in here that Elihu has to say, but when you wrap it up in arrogance, I cannot hear you. I cannot hear you, man. Oh, I'm going to teach you wisdom. Oh, man, that's rough on me. You should probably get some before you teach it to me. But anyways, he's going to teach wisdom. So Elihu further answered and said. So his, <coughs> his first argument has, has come and passed. Each one of Elihu's arguments, he's going to take one of the questions of Job. And he's going to answer it. You know, Job, you say you're righteous and God is your enemy. But let me tell you, you just don't understand God. God's gracious. God's good. God's speaking to you in your suffering. And if you would just repent, everything would be okay. That's his first one. Then we come to 34. Elihu further answered and said, Man, I got so much to tell you, Job. Just keep listening. I'm going to talk for five more chapters. Hear my words, you wise men. Give ear to me, you who have knowledge. For the ear tests words like a palate tastes food. Let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. So he's telling us where he's going to go now. Let's talk about the justice of God. God is just. You guys remember, I've, I've shared with you before, there's always a danger for us when we begin to talk about God utilizing only one of His characteristics. Right? God's a lot of things. Is God only justice? No, but God is just, right? Is God only holy? No, but God is holy. The point is, the characteristics of God... All of the characteristics of God make up the character of God. And if we try to develop a character sketch from only one of God's characteristics, what do we end up with? We end up with a distorted image, right? And we're not supposed to make any kind of images of God, are we? No graven images? I would say anytime we take God and try to fashion Him into a character that we can understand... By utilizing only one of his characteristics, we are creating a God in our own image. We're focused on 
the, the whatever particular attribute we like. For Elihu, next two chapters are going to be just. The justness of God. The justice of God. And then he says, so he gets all his friends together. Okay, guys, well, you don't believe what Job said. For Job has said, <coughs> I am righteous. Was that true or a lie? Yeah, that's the problem, right? You get what I'm saying? His friends could not relate the two concepts. If you're righteous, God won't allow you to suffer. That's not true. Did God love his son? Did anyone suffer more than him? So for us to say being loved by God would mean no suffering, that's ridiculous, right? You guys ever heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? It's full of people who died, who loved God with all their heart. Who suffered some horrific atrocities that was part of God's plan and purpose for their life. And God was right in what He allowed in their life. And they were righteous before Him. If our theology will not allow that, it's our theology that's wrong. Not what God's saying, but you see, He begins with a bad precept. If I begin with a bad observation, my interpretation is going to be screwed up, right? If my first observation is Job must be lying, except God said it, then my interpretation from that point is going to go south. Well, let's take a look at it. <clears throat> Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. God brought my suffering. We're back to the same point. Job says, I'm righteous, and God brought my suffering. How can those two things be true? That was the problem with his friends. Should I lie concerning my right? My wound is incurable, though I am without transgression. This is, these are all things that Job said. So he's beginning with Job's phrase. He's saying, I have a right relationship with God. And my wound is incurable. I, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm dying and I don't understand what's happening. So, what man is like Job? Now, I think there's some derision there in the voice of Elihu when he says that. But listen to what he says next. Who drinks scorn like water. Now, all his buddies had scorned him, right? They'd all been busting his chops. That's another word, another phrase for scorning. So he, they were all busting his chops, and Job just rolled with it like water off a duck's back. He kept going. He kept responding. He kept having something to answer, and that's what he's saying. And then he describes Job. Now tell me if these things are true. Who goes in company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men. For he has said it profits a man nothing that he should delight in God. God's not worthy of our service. Now Job didn't say that. But that's Elihu's interpretation of the things that Job's saying. Because Elihu's issue is, if you serve God and do good things, then what happens? Good things. So Job, if bad things are happening to you, brother, you have been doing bad things. Pretty simple. Now is that a different argument than the other friends? It kind of seems the same to me. He just wraps it up in a... In a more confusing package, that's all. But he's saying the same things. He says Job is stating by his life and the 
the argument that Job gives that I'm righteous and God's allowed my suffering, he says, well, if that's true, then this is what you're saying. God's not worthy of our service. Because if we serve God, then surely only good things will happen. Now listen, this doesn't just happen here. It don't. I remember, I don't remember how many years ago it was now because I'm getting old, but a long time ago, we're in Israel and we're going through the Holy Land and and we're with Gerald and Cindy. And Cindy is starting to get sick. Every time we stop somewhere, she's throwing up. It's kind of weird. Like, wow, what's going on? You better go to the doctor when we get home. So we get home. She goes to the doctor. One visit, the doctor says, you have pancreatic cancer. Or you're going to die. That's it. Boom. You're done. And nobody survives pancreatic cancer. That's a death sentence. Unless divine intervention you're going to die you know one of the first things that people said how could a good God allow that to happen to someone who's serving him seriously see the true test of whether we're like Job or Job's friends comes when the suffering of Job knocks on our door and we go Oh, I don't know if I can reconcile a good God with him giving, allowing pancreatic cancer in the life of one of his servants. How can that, how can it what? Glorify man? Well, it can't. Who can it glorify? God. I still like that part in the Westminster Confession. Chief goal of man. It's to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The idea that we see in Scripture, what happened in Cindy's life, she died of a horrific disease. You guys saw the same thing who were here, a part of Buell, because Brett uh, got the same thing. And it's not pretty. And you just watch somebody you care about slowly waste away. And then they die. And God is just in it. And holy and loving and good. And if there's not enough room in my theology for that reality, then I'm like Job's friends. Because just because I can't wrap my mind around how it works doesn't make it true. Because God said, my ways are higher than your ways. And I can give you justification for it. And probably some of you know stories of justification for it. People, there was over a thousand people at at, uh, Cindy's funeral. And hundreds came forward to receive Christ as their Savior. But whether that happened or not, doesn't make God guilty. God is doing things I can't understand. I cannot fit God in a box. And sometimes I'll see good come from it. And sometimes by faith, I will believe it. Because God's word declares that we know all things work together for good to who? To those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. So then I'll believe it. Because Cindy was the called. Brent was the called. So that's true, 
whether I get it or not. And if my theology can't accept it, it's not God that's wrong, or Cindy who had some horrible sin in her life, or Brent that had some horrible sin in his life. It's my theology that screwed up. That's what the friends couldn't get. That's what Elihu is still struggling with. How can these things be true? Sometimes the servants of God suffer. It shouldn't take you too long to think of some. You know where Saeed is, right? He's suffering. What about Nagme? Is she isn't she suffering too? What about the kids? What about, are they suffering? Yeah. And God is right. And they are righteous because Jesus Christ made them so. There's room for it. And God is doing something. He told Habakkuk, If I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe it anyway. So it shouldn't shock us that God says, I'm not going to tell you. You won't believe it anyhow. Just trust me. Where do we line up? Job's friends or with Job? Therefore, listen to me, you men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wickedness and from the Almighty to commit iniquity. Can God commit wickedness? No. Can God sin? No. You're right. God can't be wrong. For He repays man according to His work. And makes man to find a reward according to his way. Surely God will never do wickedly, nor will the Almighty pervert justice. Who gave him charge over the earth, or who appointed him over the whole world? If he should set his heart on it, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to the dust. Absolutely. Could God do that? Sure. He is able. The problem is question of timing. Will the Lord pervert justice? No, there will be perfect justice. There will be perfect justice. The question is when? Payday someday. But the Bible tells us God's long-suffering. Desiring what? That none should perish. How many people does God want to be saved? According to to 1 Timothy chapter 2, all people everywhere. So that's God's desire. So He will wait as long as He can. Does that mean everyone will be saved? No, it doesn't mean everyone will be saved. But it does mean God will give every opportunity to everyone who can. For whosoever can call on the name of the Lord, what? Shall be saved, right? So God's going to give that, there's that space. The question is a question of timing. There will be perfect justice. Well, what do you mean, Jackie? This is what I mean. Either Jesus Christ is going to bear your justice from a holy God, or you will. But there will be perfect justice. The question is, when? He says, if you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the words, listen to the sound of my words. Should one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is most just? 
Is it fitting to say to the king, you are worthless, and to Nabal's, to Nabal's, maybe I should slow down, to nobles, you are wicked, yet he is not partial to princes, nor does he regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. Does God show partiality? No, no partiality with God. In a moment they die in the middle of the night. The people are shaken and pass away. The mighty are taken without a hand. Everybody goes to see the Lord sooner or later. God is absolutely and wholly sovereign. (coughs) So if God is unjust, then he must not be able to see the cause of man. Look at 21. For his eyes are on the ways of man, and he sees all his steps. There's no darkness, no shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves, for he need not further consider a man that he should go before God in judgment. He breaks in pieces the mighty. Does God have the power to do what he wants to do? Without inquiry and sets others in their place. Therefore, he knows their works. He overthrows them (coughs) in the night and they are crushed. He strikes them as wicked men in the open sight of others. Because they turned back from him and would not consider any of his ways so that they caused the cry of the poor to come to him. For he hears the cry of the afflicted. Now there's an inference there. The inference is, Job, if you're really righteous, if you are in the right place with God like the poor, God always hears the cry of the afflicted and the poor. But God doesn't hear your your cry, Job. Why? How come God doesn't hear your cry, Job? You must not be as righteous as you think, because God hears the poor, and He responds. It says, when He gives quietness, who can make trouble? When He hides His face, who then can see Him? Whether it is against the nation or a man alone. God can do what God wants to do, how God wants to do it. And no matter what God does, He will not ever be wrong he will always be right that the hypocrite should not reign lest the people be ensnared Job you must be a hypocrite for has anyone said to God I have borne chastening I will offend no more he's saying Job again you need to confess so that God will restore Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Should he repay it according to your terms? Should God do these things according to what you have to say, just because you disavow it? You must choose and not I. Therefore, speak what you know. Job, confess. Man, we've heard this before, haven't we? Men of understanding say to me, wise men who listen to me, Job speaks without knowledge, and his words are without wisdom. See, he sneaks into Job, using Job's words. Job, this is not going to be painful, but the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And in the end, all it is is just another opportunity to berate a man of God with with an attitude. And so he delivers this this attitude upon him. He, he says, oh man, you are, you are a wicked man. Oh, that Job were tried to the utmost. 
Because his answers are like those of a wicked man. Job, if God would just turn the screws a little more, you would break and then you'd confess. I don't think there's any more to turn him screws, man. Job is turned. And Job hasn't spoke wrong yet. But all Job's friends... Look, anytime I counsel someone, I think about Job's friends and who who do I want to be? I don't want to be them. I don't want to be he who darkens counsel without knowledge. So I try to spend less time pointing out the problems in other people. And trying to make sure that the log in my own eye is removed so I can see clearly the speck in my brothers. I don't want to be charged like this. In verse 37 he says, here's the issue, okay? Not only did we see before he didn't understand who God was, God's gracious, and, and God's good, but, but I'm sure Job would never have refuted that anyway. But now in talking about the justice of God, he declares Job's sin. For he adds rebellion to his sin. He is rebelling against God. Elihu should have stopped now, but he's going to talk for three more chapters, just like this. He claps his hands among us and multiplies his words against God. He's saying, man, Job's got it all wrong. Job, you don't, don't you? You seem to listen to my words and straighten it out. But in four chapters, God's going to say, who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? I think the point is, as we look at the book of Job and we work our way through, man, Yes, God is not wrong. But our understanding about why God is doing what He's doing and what's happening is not always right. Don't make lame assumptions. Be careful not to walk in arrogance. Oh, I know what's wrong with them. Realize, I don't want to be those guys who got lame comments without understanding, who have no knowledge, but walk around talking about how they're going to give you all this incredible knowledge and then blame God for the knowledge that they have. I got this knowledge, Elihu. I got this straight from the voice of God. I don't want to be those people. So what helps me not find myself in error in counsel? What helps me find myself on God's path? Don't you see? That's what Psalm 119 declares. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I will not sin against you. Thy word is a light and a lamp. It guides me and directs me. It keeps my feelings in check. Because if my feelings don't line up with what God's word says, I know which one's wrong. But if I take this book and I say, you know, this book is nothing, then everything is permissible. And nothing is foundational. 
That's why the devil attacks this. Because if we chuck this, or we say it's on par with every other book, you know, it's great, but so is the, the, the Bhagavad Gita, or however you say it, the Eightfold Path. So is the Book of Mormon. So is the Quran. It's all the same. You find your truth where you find your truth. Then everything's permissible. And there's no place to stand. That's how I know it's real. Because the devil's been pounding on that book from the gate, man. That can't be right. We need something more. That can't be right. You know, the things it says, that can't be right. What would you expect the devil to do with God's book? I expect he'd counterfeit it. Making a lot of ones that are close. Just to bring enough confusion so people don't know where to stand. Hey, you don't got to believe me. Figure it out on your on your own. But the way to know the path is to follow what the Word says. Make the Word the lamp. Make it your light. Make it your headlights. Let it show you the way. And He won't lead us astray. We who follow it will not be ashamed. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. To do what? To save, man. There's a power of God to save. 